We've got two Bible readings this morning. Um, Our first reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. And these verses um, document some of the last teachings that Jesus gave his disciples before facing his death on the cross. So starting at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Our next reading comes from 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 31, and we're reading through to chapter 13, verse 13. So chapter 12, verse 31. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love.
Good morning. Hello. Well, as you've just heard, our Bible passage for this morning is all about true love. Something of real interest to us all. We are a community that is fascinated by, that deeply desires true love. Most of the songs that we listen to, the movies and TV shows we watch, have love as a theme. The search for love, the experience of being in love, the pain and dysfunction of love gone wrong. And we know how important love is in here. We all have this in common. We want to love and be loved. What do we actually mean when we say that we want to love and be loved? I want to know what love is. You won't be surprised to find love is big in the Bible. But the Bible's teaching on love is special. It's quite different to the way that our world thinks about love. True love is, well, actually, that's the point of the sermon. I'm hardly going to give that away up front, am I? (laughs) Our quest this morning is to understand what true love is all about and how important it is to the Christian life. This is a famous passage from the Bible. The language, the ideas, it's majestic. It often turns up at weddings or at funerals. Um, But because of all that, we're used to hearing it out of context. So let's just step back and remember the context of this letter. This letter from Paul, the apostle, was written to a church who had been blessed with spiritual gifts. This is from chapter 1. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. They were speaking in tongues They had prophets. Miracles were happening. They thought they had hit the big time. But in fact, the apostle says they were very immature. Chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. And so there were divisions and immorality and pride and nastiness. They were known for being unloving and they needed some help. Last week, we heard that striking image of the church as a body. We are unified in our diversity. As a church, we're brought into one body by God's spirit. God's given each of us gifts to serve and build his church. But at the end of chapter 12, we heard it earlier, having said that Everyone is equal, and no one is greater than any other, and all gifts are important. We hear, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. That's odd. What makes one gift greater than any other? The answer to that question is chapter 13. And now I will show you the most excellent way. What's love got to do with it? Love is the most excellent way. So why is love so important? Why is it the most excellent way? Because without love, 
Our service of God is worthless. That's what we learn in the first few verses there. I could miraculously speak in other languages, even join in the heavenly choir with the angels. But if I don't have love, I'm no better than a loud, annoying, clanging. I could do all manner of impressive things. Prophesy, spout incredible wisdom, give all I possess to the poor. But without love, I am nothing, I gain nothing. The list here is like the resume of the perfect Christian. Preacher, theological professor, miracle worker, lover of the poor, martyr. How good can you get as a Christian? Well, you could have all that and be nothing. It's important to realise the Apostle's helping us to see God's perspective on these things. People who do these amazing things may well be revered by their Christian friends and followers. The Corinthians were definitely impressed with people who could do these things. But in God's eyes, without love, it's all worthless. God gives us gifts for a reason. God gives us insight and courage for a reason. God gives us life for a reason. That we might love Love him and love others. Love is what the true God is on about. That's why it's important. I so enjoy being part of these Sundays when the little ones are dedicated to God. Talissa, Ezekiel, they've got their whole lives in front of them. Who knows where they might end up? Alan's already suggested we might have a prophet in our midst. Youth leaders, preaching Christ to thousands, missionaries to the Middle East perhaps. But this passage reminds us the most important thing that we hope and pray for them is that they become someone who loves. They love God and love other people from the heart. It's so obvious when we put it like that. We agree with that, don't we? We want that for our own lives. We want to be those who walk the most excellent way. Perhaps you're like me, looking back on a long or short life, wondering why we so often get sidetracked into other less than excellent ways, seeking the praise of other people, waste of time, dead ends, or even darker paths. No matter where you're at, it's not too late to get back on track. Without love, our service of God is worthless. So let's commit to be people of love. Okay, love is important. But what does it actually look like? What is true love? Let me read from verse 4 once more. Love is patient Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, 
but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. It's awesome, isn't it? Now, before we get into the details, it's worth asking, how does the Apostle Paul know what true love is? What makes him an authority on love? It's because he knows the true God who is love in the very core of his being. And especially because he knows what God has done in sending his son Jesus to rescue fallen humanity. We sang it earlier. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The death of Jesus is the defining expression of love for all time. Here's how another Bible writer puts it. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God's love in Jesus lies behind this description in 1 Corinthians at every point. God has been patient with us, putting up with our sin. God has been so kind to us, offering us forgiveness. God humbled himself all the way to the cross. Now, realizing this helps us with another obvious problem. I don't know about you, but for me, that description of love is so intimidating. It's so hard to love like this, to put others first, to keep no record of wrongs, to do this day in, day out. I mean, this is the real world. Of course, it's not true for me, but I've heard that the people you live with can be very annoying. (laughs) And it gets harder when we find out that God wants us to love like this, not only our friends and our family, but those who are completely different from us, even our enemies. That's, well, that's impossible. Yes, it is in our own strength. We need to acknowledge that. We might be able to pull off a cartoon version of this for a short time on our best days with those who love us. Let's be honest, we fall far short. But God's love in Jesus is our hope. You can know love like this. This is why Jesus came. So that we might drink deeply from the well of true love and know the God who is love. If you're not a follower of Jesus, but you like the sound of this love, the place to start is the gospel story where you'll see this love lived out. Come and see me afterwards or Alan, whoever you came with, and we'll do what we can to point you in the right direction. 
If you're a Christian, then you will know we can only love like this in God's strength. This is supernatural. But this is why Jesus came. So we can love like this. And it's as we see the patience of God towards us in Jesus that we will learn to be patient. It's as we see the grace of God in the gospel that we will learn to be kind. We will fall often, but God will not. And as long as we continue to find our forgiveness and our strength in the cross of Christ, then God will continue his good work of making us like him. So let's think about the character of true love. In the words of another songwriter, love is a many splendid thing. The description here is incredibly rich. 15 qualities of true love. Seven things that love is, patient, kind, etc. And eight things that love is not, proud, easily angered, and so on. There's more that could be said about love, but these were the things that the church in Corinth really needed to hear at the time. You'll be pleased to know I'm not planning to spend time on each of these qualities this morning, uh, although that would be a good thing to do. Uh, if you're someone who reads the Bible regularly, it would be a fruitful exercise to take these one at a time and chew them over. What else does the Bible say about patience and envy and the others? How do we see that in the life of Jesus? How can I grow in that quality in my real life? I recommend it to you. For this morning, here's my summary. True love is practical, persistent, generous living for the good of others. There's still a fair bit in that, so let me break it down. True love is practical. That is, it's active. It's lived out in the real world. Each one of these qualities are verbs, doing words. And so there's something I can learn to do, something that I can choose to do, no matter how I'm feeling at the time. So I hope you're hearing how different this description of love is from the way that our world thinks about love. Our culture craves love, but what they actually want is that out-of-this-world feeling that stops us from having to worry about reality. Here's that well-known theologian, Ed Sheeran. <laughs> you make me feel like my troubled heart is a million miles away. You make me feel like I'm drunk on stars and we're dancing out into space. Look, that's nice if it happens. But not everybody gets to experience that. And even if you do, it rarely lasts for long. That's a different thing to what God is talking about here. He's calling us to real, practical involvement in one another's lives, whether or not we feel buzzed about it. True love is persistent. Did you notice all those persevering, hanging in their words? Love is patient. It keeps no record of wrongs, even when they mount up over time. It always protects, always perseveres. See, again, this description is realistic 
about the world we live in. We rub shoulders every day with people who are weak and suffering. And God's calling us to be patient with them, to always protect them. I've had people say to me, oh, you must have learned patience through your disability. Well, maybe. But God's certainly teaching my friends and family patience through my disability. (laughs) And I'm so thankful for the patient love that so many show me. This description of love expects that people will be stupid and mean, that we will be wronged, that there will be times we get really angry. But in spite of all that, God calls us to hang in there, to persist in love. After all, he has been so patient with us. Love is persistent. True love is generous. Persistence is what love looks like on the back foot. But love also takes the initiative, stepping forward, reaching out to be kind and generous. Love is not self-seeking. It always trusts, always hopes. Again, this is not natural. Most of us can manage to be warm towards those who love us. But true love doesn't care whether or not the other person deserves it, whether or not there's something in it for me. Love is willing to give and to serve even strangers. Remember the Good Samaritan in Jesus' story. Even those who've let us down in the past. God loves like this. Matthew 5. God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Romans 5. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I am so glad that God's love is generous. Now, loving like this will put us at risk of being conned. That's true. Here's John Calvin. A Christian man will reckon it better to be imposed upon by his own kindness and easy temper than to wrong his brother by an unfriendly suspicion. So true love is practical, persistent, and generous. It's also for the good of others. Verse 6 says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. That is God's truth. It longs for what God's word says is good and right, not evil. The latest spin on love in our world is that if you love someone, you will enthusiastically affirm all the choices that they make for themselves. No! The love God calls us to is not like that. True love is deeply concerned when someone is living a foolish and destructive and self-centred life. Christian or non-Christian, we're concerned for them because we love them. And calling someone to turn away from all that, to live with Jesus as Lord, 
is the most loving thing that we can do. That might mean difficult conversations or reaching out for some help. It certainly will involve prayer. Love works for the good of others. So what does true love look like? Here's a photo of my dad and mum on their wedding day. Is that true love? I think it's a bit early to tell. They're young and attractive. They've got all the feels happening. Here's another photo from three weeks ago after they moved into a nursing home together. 56 years later. You name it, they've been through it. Highs and lows, stresses and strains. They've stuck by one another. They've served one another. They've encouraged each other to stand firm in Christ. And now, in God's kindness, they get to be in the same room in a nursing home. And they're learning what it means to love one another there. True love is not just for romantic relationships, but it can be glimpsed in a good marriage. There is much more that could be said. We've just scratched the surface. Love is practical, persistent, generous living for the good of another. Let's keep thinking and talking about the riches in this passage after church. What have I missed? For the rest of this chapter, the apostle returns to his earlier theme of explaining why this love is so important. The Christians in Corinth seem to have bought into the Greek value system of chasing honour and respect, uh, being acknowledged as wise and eloquent and so on. And they didn't value love. Paul's already said that without love, our service of God is worthless. Now he comes at it from another angle. Love is important because... Love will never pass away. Love never fails. These great things that the Corinthians so desired, the gifts of prophecy and tongues and insight, they would all pass away. They are important in the here and now because there is much opposition and temptation now. And we need to spur one another on to stand firm in Christ. But there is a time coming when those things won't be needed. I'll read again from verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. He's talking about the time when Christ returns and remakes the universe. On that glorious day, all Christians will become mature and enter into a face-to-face relationship with Christ that will far outstrip our current experience, we'll realise then that the best of our theology and the best of our preaching was kindergarten stuff. 
And the Jesus that we will see, he'll be the same Jesus, awesome and lovely. But he will be unveiled in all his glory and we will be blown away. On that day, only three things will matter. Verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. When Christ returns, no one will care what gifts you had or what's on your ministry resume. You won't care about those things. Only three things will matter. Was your faith in Jesus as Saviour and Lord? Was your hope fixed on his return? And did your faith and hope overflow in genuine love? We can't take credit for any of those three. We rest on what Jesus has done. We cling to his promises for the future. Anything good that we do comes from his working in us. But why is love the greatest of these? One possibility is that love captures something at the very heart of who God is. Father, Son and Spirit have always lived in perfect love. But in this context, it's probably saying that love is eternal in a way that faith and hope are not. Our faith will turn to sight. Our hope will be realised. But we will continue to love. In fact, our love will burn brighter and stronger. We struggle to love now, but then we will enter into the fullness of love in our relationship with God and with one another. Learning to love is the most profound way that we can experience the age to come right now. You want to touch heaven? You want to taste the glory of the promised new age? Speaking in tongues, words of knowledge, miracles? That's not where it's at. It's in the simple everyday reality of love. God's love for us and our love for others. There was a news story this week about the Matildas. And the reporter said, the Matildas have been immortalised in this mural on Bondi Beach. Now I'm totally on board the bandwagon. Go the Matildas. But immortalised? That's a bit much. Will most of us remember these events in five years' time? Maybe. In 50 years? Probably not. What will we remember in 10,000 years' time? Those of us who are privileged to be there. It won't be our sporting achievements or our degrees or our net worth. I imagine the conversation will go something like this. You'll say, have I told you about how my neighbour shared the gospel with me? Or about the time my church friends mowed our lawns when I was sick? Or have I told you about what my wife, my husband forgave me after what I'd done? And I'll say, yes, you have, but I'd love to hear that story again. <laughs> Our acts of love will be remembered 
and celebrated as they should be. Love will never pass away. Okay, out of love for you all, I need to finish. Let me just say a couple more things about walking in the way of love. First, about how we do that as a church here at the Lakes. The Apostle goes on in chapter 14 to explain what it looks like to eagerly desire the greater gifts. That is, gifts that are an expression of love because they build others. More about that next week. This chapter spurs us to use each and every spiritual gift in the most excellent way, that is, in a way that loves others. Not seeking glory for ourselves or competing with others about who has the most wonderful gift, but serving faithfully and humbly to build others in Christ. I think sometimes we can feel a bit disheartened when we hear a challenging passage like this uh, because we know how much we still need to grow in love. But I want to encourage you. There is much evidence of love among us. I hear stories every week that make me rejoice. So many gladly serving. So many being welcomed and cared for. God's spirit is at work. Now let's keep growing. Finally, let me underline. The love God's on about here is not just for romantic relationships and it's bigger than church. God's calling us to a way of life, to conduct every relationship, every conversation in love. Your everyday life matters to God. It's not just the upfront stuff, the churchy stuff. The gritty details of our life matter. And what that means is that we have the chance to honour God and spread the fragrance of the new age in every relationship as we walk in love. There is no one-size-fits-all. You need to work out in your situation what it looks like to love guided by God's Spirit. And there will be a way to raise children in love and work in love and study and drive and rest and everything else in love. We have been so loved in the Lord Jesus. Now it is our privilege to truly love others but we can only do that in his strength. So let's pray. Please join me. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for your amazing love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, please enable us to grasp more deeply, more fully, the greatness of your love for us in Christ. And please change us, empower us by your spirit to love others as as you have loved us, patiently, generously, humbly, 
willing to sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. Open our eyes to the opportunities all around, even today, to show your love in action. And please, Father, work through us to bring your love to our world and our friends and family to know your love in the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.